Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Picture this, if you will, a man in his mid-fifties is limping forward with a patch over one of his eyes. His right eye has been blinded, and all the sinews in his left ankle have been cut during one of the previous persecutions. But there he is at the Council of Nicaea confessing the faith. God had given him the courage, endurance, and faith that he had needed. And though some of his friends had been martyred, St. Nicholas of Myra had survived. Today is the second Sunday in Advent, but it's also the day the church remembers St. Nicholas of Myra, who most of you know as Santa Claus through the Danish, or Santa Claus. His life is a beautiful example for us to consider what Jesus calls us to in our gospel reading. Jesus calls us to live lives of faithfulness and prayer as we watch and wait for his coming. And St. Nicholas lived his life in that way, as he watched and waited for his Lord's return. This morning we'll consider Judgment Day, and what Jesus would have us do to be prepared for that day, as we watch for it in hope. Do we take Judgment Day seriously? Here's how Malachi describes that day. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Does that sound like something we should take seriously? I hope so. We hear the same thing all over the Bible, but this kind of language at the end of Psalm 1 the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Those who do wickedly, who do not fear God's anger, they shall indeed feel it. On the day of judgment, when Christ shall be revealed in flaming fire, he will execute judgment on the proud and all that do wickedly. At that moment, they will know the fullness of God's wrath against their sin. For the unbeliever, for the self-righteous, for the proud, for the wicked, whether they call themselves Christians or not makes no difference. The day of judgment will be one of terror. They will experience the fullness of God's wrath for all eternity. And so our Lord describes people's reaction as events are unfolding in the earth, things are getting worse. As we get closer to that day, men's hearts failing them from fear. The expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, the Bible gives us some glimpses of how bad Judgment Day will be, with things like the flood that destroyed all of humanity except for eight souls in the ark, and also the two major destructions of Jerusalem and the temple. These horrific events point forward to a far more awful and terrible day, the Day of Judgments. So Jesus says we must be ready for it. Many people, though, will be completely caught off guard, will be completely unprepared for Judgment Day. Here's how our Lord describes it earlier in Luke's Gospel. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, 
They bought, they sold, they planted, they built. On the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. St. Peter words it slightly different, but says the same thing. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The point throughout the Bible is the day of judgment will be one of surprise. It'll happen when people are busy going about their lives, giving no thought to Christ or his words. It'll come as a thief in the night, suddenly, and when it's least expected. So Jesus warns us not to live in darkness, or to allow our thoughts and minds to be clouded by things that would make us unprepared for that day. Jesus said, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. The day come on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Notice what Jesus says, hearts weighed down by living lives consumed by entertainment, being consumed by the cares of this life, with no thought for Jesus' second coming, no thought for judgment day. Elsewhere, Jesus says the love of many will grow cold because of these things. I recently listened to Huxley's A Brave New World, because I thought it was kind of fitting, given all that's going on in the world. And one way in which the masses are controlled in that book, in the world creating that book, is a drug called Soma. Soma makes people feel euphoric. It deadens their feelings of discomfort, guilt, shame, and anything else that would make them feel bad. It keeps them distracted from what's going on in their world, and it keeps them from asking questions about life and death, and what happens after death. In the real world, things are not that different. Drugs, illegal and legal, Netflix and television binging, constant social media, and whatever else might keep us entertained and distracted, so we don't have to consider the things that truly matter in this life. Make no mistake, there's a reason there were certain things you're allowed to do during this lockdown. There's a reason you can buy pots and alcohol and get porn easily, but have a difficult time getting to churches. See, these things can consume us and all our time and distract us from what's going on. And I don't want you to miss this. We often are blinded. We're blinded to the own things in our own lives that actually keep us from seeing things the way they really are. One of the things I try to do as a pastor is daily I take part of our directory and I pray for families in this church. And one of the things I pray for is those things that I see that you may not see. That could be blinding you and distracting you from the truth. We are not to be constantly distracted or drunk, whether, whether literally or spiritually. We're to be sober-minded. We're to take heed to ourselves through prayer and the word so that we can see things clearly, so that we can see things according to how God says they really are in his holy word. So Jesus calls us to repent. We must repent of all of our sins. We must repent of loving ourselves and our comforts and our lives more than Jesus. We must repent of allowing our thoughts to be clouded and darkened by the things of this world. For allowing our hearts to be weighed down by the very things Jesus warned us about. 
by the things that don't ultimately matter. But those are the very things that we often treat as if they're the most important. Practically speaking, at this time of the year, if we can have a very frank conversation about this, we must even repent of loving our families and Christmas traditions more than God and His Word. How many people say, I'm too busy in December to go to church? We can't go to church Christmas morning. That's when we open presents. This is being distracted by the things that don't matter, putting them in place of the things that actually do matter. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so Jesus says, Watch therefore, and pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Paul puts it this way, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Over and over and over again, our Lord tells us, Watch, be alert, pay attention, that you may understand what's actually going around in your life and in the world. So you don't miss out on the things that actually matter. So you don't miss out on the most important things. That's why our Lord tells us to be in church, to be in the Word, to be in prayer. It's also why He tells you to lift up your heads. Because even here this morning, your redemption draws near in Word and sacraments. And He'll fully come, as you see all these things getting worse and worse, it's a sign that He's ready to fully come with His second coming. As if the Lord openly warns His people by saying, when the evils of this world seem to be growing, more and more all around you. When dread of the judgment is shown even by the trembling powers, lift up your heads. Be joyful. Be joyful in your hearts because the world, of which you are not its friend, is coming to its end. The redemption you've been seeking is actually drawing near. To lift up your heads means to raise the heart to the joys of your heavenly fatherlands. You, therefore, who love God, you're called to be glad, to rejoice because of the end of the world. Because these things mean that you will soon meet him whom you love. And what is passing away, what is vanishing, is that thing which you should have never loved to begin with. Far be it then for any of the faithful who desire to seek God that they should grieve over the afflicted world. Which we must know, because Jesus has told us over and over again, will end in catastrophe. It is written, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Therefore, the one who does not rejoice at the approaching end of the world actually testifies, he confesses, that he's a friend of the world's. And by that, he's revealed to be an enemy of God. Let that be far from you, his faithful ones, his people, let it be far from the hearts of those who believe by faith that there is another life. And who are actually longing for it. They're looking forward to it. I mentioned St. Nicholas of Myra. There's a wonderful biography called From Saint to Santa Claus that I highly recommend. It gives a beautiful summary of his life. and He did this kind of thing by living a life of generosity. The thing he's most known for is saving three young women from prostitution 
by giving gold to their father anonymously, throwing it through the window on successive nights. But he also suffered greatly for the faith, as I mentioned, being blinded in one eye most likely, having the sinews of his left ankle cut, because that was the common torture of the day for those who survived. He showed his hatred for the world by confessing Christ, even by going into the very depths of false satanic worship, the worship of false idols, and tearing down one of their temples in his town. He was an amazing and godly man. Let those grieve over the ruin of the world who have planted the roots of their hearts deep in the love of it. Who aren't looking for the life to come or for the Lord's nor are they even aware that it's happening. But we who have learned the joys of our heavenly home must desire to go there. And we should actually desire to go there soon. In this life, we're surrounded by sorrow and misfortune. It would be utter folly. Carefully consider this. It would be utter folly to be weary with the fatigue of running the race because of these sorrows, and yet not eager to finish the journey itself. That brings us to a key point this morning, the reason we're eager. While the day of judgment, the day of Christ's return, is one of terror and fear for the unbeliever, for the believer it's a day of immense joy. We lift up our heads because the fullness of our redemption is drawing near. Malachi put it this way, But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. You shall go out and grow fat like salt-fed calves. This is really beautiful imagery. Fire, as most of you know, can do a a lot of great good in your house, in your home, in your life. But it can also do a ton of damage. It can bring warmth and it can bring terror. So the Bible tells us our God is consuming fire. And the imagery of the sun is similar. So here we get the picture that for believers, the sun, who is the sun, S-O-N, brings healing to us. He's the one who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. The one who is coming on that day is the very same one who was crucified to bring you forgiveness and healing. Those famous words from Isaiah 53, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. So Paul and Titus describes us, believers, in this way that we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. We're confident of all this because Jesus said that even though everything else is going to vanish and pass away, that his words remain. Therefore, we're actually excited, we're eager, we're hopeful for that day that others actually dread. We desire Jesus to return soon. And that's why at the end of the Bible, at the very end of Revelation, in response to the news that Jesus says he's coming quickly, the saints actually pray with longing and great joy, Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. So with great joy, we sang this glorious summary of what we've heard this morning. He comes to judge the nations, a terror to his foes, a light of consolations, and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious sun, now come, 
Send forth your beam so cheering and guide us safely home. That is our prayer this morning, that God would have his sun arise upon us, that he would send forth his beams that heal and cheer us, and that he would guide us by that same light safely home. I mentioned this on Wednesday night, but I think it bears repeating that the great 20th century Lutheran theologian and pastor Herman Sosa that the church has been able to patiently endure as we wait for the Lord over the past 2,000 years. Because every Sunday, on the day of the Lord, our Lord comes to us with his body and blood to strengthen us to endure. It is the body and blood of Christ that sustains St. Nicholas and all those who have gone before you. It is what sustains you. So Jesus says, lift up your heads. Receive his body and blood this day of the Lord, that you may be strengthened to watch, to pray, and endure in faith until judgment day. Amen. Peace of God passes on your sin and guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.